0: Whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: you're listening to the medic materials podcast hosted by mike turek a paramedic and educator with over 10 years experience every month we review actual ems calls with the help of current practicing ems providers bringing educational opportunities directly to the listener portions of the calls have been altered to protect the privacy and identity of those involved
0: Hello and welcome, everybody, back to the uh, Medic Materials podcast. I am Mike Turek and I am here with uh, Gerard, the New York State paramedic. As Hello. always, I think you've you've been now in every single
1: episode. Every single. We are I going have to I make sure. Have nothing better to do.
0: <laughs> but
1: my we, life is so empty. But and dry. we love you here. Yeah.
0: I love you. Your opinions. It's great. It's great yeah.
1: having you. I left my soapbox at home.
0: That's probably a good thing. And uh, secondly, we are joined again second month in a row with Emily, the nurse slash EMT that did a phenomenal job last podcast. So Mm -hmm. hopefully you guys hit like the follow, 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 follow thing Mm -hmm. because that's what I would have done. So this this episode is going to be a little different, though. We're not introducing a, uh, a call for review. I'm sure a lot of calls are gonna come up, lots of stories are gonna come up, but we're gonna have a general conversation this time. And we wanna hit the topic, a overall generic topic of when to pull the trigger and when to not pull that trigger in EMS. And we're gonna talk different circumstances, different you know uh, skill sets and different things that maybe you've come to a decision, a crossroads, where you're sitting there as a paramedic or EMT, seasoned or new, and you're left with the decision of, do I intubate this person? Do I not intubate this person? Do I call for ALS? Do I not call for ALS? Do I use the IO gun? Do I not use the IO gun? And you're sitting there weighing the benefits and the risks going, do I, do I not? So that's what we kind of want to talk about. And we're kind of doing a round Mm -hmm. robin here. And I, I think it'll just be a generalized interesting discussion for, like I said, new and seasoned providers who have been in this situation as we all have. Like these are real situations that all three of us have been in where we're like, should we or shouldn't we? And the, it's funny. The one thing that I remember the most out of my paramedic internship, other than my father-in-law telling me that we all suck and <laughs> Gerard can you were there yes. for that conversation. I was, and, I was part of that. Uh, yes. It was that that will live in infamy. In infamy <laughs> until the day I will be telling EMD students until the day I die, you all suck. <laughs> and believe me, I'm trying to get him on here to tell you exactly what the thought process is behind we all suck. So hopefully he gets the courage and wants to talk to everybody. But. The other thing that I learned was the analogy of, you know, as a paramedic and even as an EMT, you have all of these tools at your disposal and you have to understand that, you know, it's it's like firing a firearm, right? Yeah. You have all these different types of ammunitions and you load, you say, okay, I'm going to use this ammunition. I'm going to load it up and boom, I'm going to use it. I'm going to fire that. But you have to be prepared for what that ammunition does. After you've fired it, after you've pulled that trigger, is it going to do benefits? Is it going to do bad things? You know, what do I I have to look for down the road? Or is it worthwhile just to sit and do nothing, right? Sit on my hands. And sometimes that's the best. And we'll go over that. Sometimes it's the best thing is just to sit there and monitor your patient. So, Gerard, you had an interesting one that literally just happened. So, it's fresh in our mind. You and I talked about it yesterday. But I, I think... Um, you know, going over it again, kind of in this benefit risk yeah. thing, would be would be an interesting story to tell.
1: Yeah, so I, I had a, a critical patient having a cardiac event and uh she's still alert and oriented, she's still speaking in full sentences, complete sentences, able to follow commands, she's you know, she she's her, there's nothing Abnormal about the way she's presenting as far as her mentation goes. Uh, But she's in a lot of pain, uh, chest pain, um, and definitely needed to get to the hospital sooner rather than later.
0: Now, I think for the... I'm going to cut in. The benefit, or I I guess not the benefit, but the, the thing that we should outline is you say cardiac event. Yeah. But... It's a significant cardiac is event, significant right? Cardiac this cardiac. this is MI myocardial absolutely. infarction, it was a STEMI. right? Yeah. It's a STEMI. So we're up against time, right? Time is time muscle is in this. Yeah. Time is heart time muscle. Is it's yeah. infarcting at this point in time. Yeah. So it's you know a critical cardiac patient is you know just backstory to yeah. no absolutely to and, listeners.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it was a uh, you know our, we arrive on scene and you know according to. Um, the people there, it was, you know, we were there 20 minutes into the onset. So, you know, the clock is ticking. Now this is an individual who, um, does not present, you know, I'm I'm just going to go and say it presents with absolutely zero, um, points of vascular access. And I, and I, I'm going to second that. I'm going to look at Emily and I'm going to say. (laughs) <laughs> she has no access. You couldn't get her.
0: Let, let's put it this way. A, a, and I know you have... Because, uh, again, all three of us work at the same agency. Mm-hmm. We've all had this patient. I I am yeah. notorious. You've watched me do it. I am notorious for weird place mm-hmm. IVs. My favorite. Love feet. Love ankles. Weird places. Yeah. I've tried nothing. So when he says zero access... I second that. There is yeah. zero access on this individual.
1: Believe me, <laughs> and, and, and I and I'm, I'm always one that gives the good college try. Yeah. And I, my this was my second uh, interaction with this patient, and the first time again, you know, gave it the college try, didn't work. Okay, she wasn't she wasn't critical then. She was it was just uh you know let's just transport and go. It's okay. This time, you know, we're talking, you know am I, we're very symptomatic, you know, in my mind, you know, I need access, I have to have access, because of course I'm giving nitroglycerin, and I can honestly say this was the first time I've ever taken a patient into a hospital in this condition, using that medication with absolutely zero vascular access. And it felt like, like I I described to them, it was like walking on a tightrope, no safety net. Mm -hmm. I had nothing underneath me to save my ass if everything went south. And we all know we've had people where, hey, they're, you know, 200 on 100. Here, have a shot on Nitro. Oh, shit, they're 70 on 30. Right. And, you know,
0: know, and that's the big thing, you know, especially with a STEMI. Yeah. You know, depending on what kind of STEMI, sometimes you're thinking, oh, well, am I going to affect preload here? Right. You know, or am I going to affect afterload even, you know, yeah. tanking that pressure? And that's why you know New York State has the 120 rule. You right. know, you cannot give nitro under 120 systolic, preventing right. that that hypotensive you know reaction with the nitroglycerin due to that vasodilation. So,
1: but even the 120. I mean, I've I've, got, I've literally had patients where they've been, you know, 160, 170. I think was was the, the worst one where. Uh, two administrations of nitro later and they were like 90 systolic right and it was just like, I've seen it like wow mm-hmm. where did that yep. come from yep um so you know getting the ambulance said alright we're gonna we're gonna give it a shot we're gonna take one, one stab at this you know I know anatomy well enough that I know there should be veins here <laughs> I can't feel them because of her anatomy um and just you know Physically, the way she is as a patient, um, went in, no flash, nothing. When I realized that, yeah, once again, I was not going to be able to get an IV on this woman. Um, the immediate thought was, I should probably drill her. I should probably get the IO out, give her, you know, give some kind of, uh, you know, pain medication or or some kind of sedative, something along those lines. Uh, in this instance, I probably would have uh, opted for fentanyl, and um, and just go ahead and and pull the trigger and go ahead and uh, and get an IO on her. But having performed an IO on conscious patients before, uh, again that, that kind of weight on my mind was the uh, uh, it wasn't a very pleasant experience for uh, those patients, so. The fact that we were, you know, having this event, she's already in a lot of chest pain. Her anxiety levels through the roof. I said, "Hey, uh, you know what? Let's just go. And as long as I keep seeing 120, you know, BP is above 120 systolic, we're gonna keep giving nitro. And if I have to deal with it, I'll deal with it at that time. Um, immediately following, I, you know, walked out of the uh, the hospital and said, "Damn, that was stupid." I sh- I, I was tap dancing on a landmine I should have freaking I should have freaking put that IO in because mm-hmm. um, I walked in with no access and that was that was stupid on my part so yeah there, when to pull that trigger you know it's one of those pla- places where it's just not black and white um Maybe to some people it is, but to me, it was in this big area of gray, and I'm not a gray person. So. And I,
0: I'm pretty sure EMS is all gray, and there is <laughs> yeah, no black and, and white. white for me to
1: live in this. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm, I, I'm a very black and white person. You know, it's, it either is or isn't. It's right and wrong. And,
0: uh, I'm trying to acclimate you. Yeah, this, this
1: grayness, I, I, can't, I can't take it. But uh, it was one of those, it's, it's one of these where, did it work out in the end? Yep, worked out great. You know, Walked in and let the people with vein finders and... Dude, ultrasound those infrared else, vein
0: finders are amazing. You, know, you have no idea. Can, they I are amazing. You
2: know what's even better? Ultrasound.
1: Yeah. That's what I mean, you, 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 Eventually, yeah, MS will have that. All, all, all that no, they won't. That, that, <laughs> that trickery and, and magic that you do. So, uh, you know, to let, let, let them take care of it. Uh, so if so, you had
2: that exact call again, would you make the other decision? Would you drill her?
1: Yes, I would. Absolutely. You would? I think I would.
0: And, and I know it so she asked that follow up. I'm asking the why. Yeah, what was what, was what was the what was the the re, like you and I had this conversation. So so in in you give yours and then I will give my my perspective as the fellow paramedic here that.
1: So we were gaining we were getting relief with the nitroglycerin. Um, initially, the uh, systolic blood pressure was like 140 systolic. Uh, And after the first dose, she dropped 10 points. She went into the 130s. And then um, she got some relief, so we didn't have to give her another one for a little while. And then she said it was coming back, so I gave another one. And uh, then we ended up in the 120s. And we pretty much stayed in the 120s. Uh, The lowest systolic was 122. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my head, I made a hard deck. You know, if I see anything below 120 or a map of less than 65 or even at 65, uh, then I would, I would go ahead and, and uh, perform the I.O. But the reason I didn't, I, thinking back, you know, having a, a, another day to think about it, honestly, I think it was a, it was the past experience with, uh, with drilling a conscious patient. Uh, most of the times, uh, you know, when we do I.O.s, they're, they're unresponsive. That's why we're doing it. We just need quick, you know, quick and nasty access, cardiac arrest, things like that. Uh, you know, or you know, nasty traumas. Where, hey, you know what? Just, just, just put one in real quick. Uh, and and it was it was those yeah. It, it, it was the the previous experience that thinking about it. Am I gonna okay? I'm gonna put this one in more, you know, more pain. You know, the the moment you mention anything about drill and bone. Yeah, I'm sure anxiety's anxiety's going going up, heart rate's going up. Right. She's already you know tacking away at like one twenty-five. I don't need her freaking out even more and becoming her own worst enemy. So I erred on I guess my
2: patient comfort.
1: Yeah.
0: And I and I think I don't think that's a bad way to look, right? You're 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 looking at it from a perspective of not only patient comfort but is this patient going to be better off exactly. or worse off after the fact? So, you know, I've done, again, you know, you lead me in IOs, but I've done my <laughs> fair share <laughs> um, where, yes, I've drilled the unconscious and I've drilled the conscious. Is it pleasant to get a drill bit into your You know, tibial plateau and then get fluid pushed into your marrow space. No, No, it is not pleasant. But no one has ever tried to kick me in the face because I've done it. Right. Right? It's unpleasant. It sucks. I get it. I feel bad for you when I go home. Right. But if you need it, you need it.
2: But let's go back and look at your specific patient on this specific call. If you had done that, what kind of stress would that have put on the heart that's already infarcting? Would that have been worth it for a pressure that was still 120 or above systolic?
1: It's one of those things where...
2: You're damned I, if you I, do, damned if you don't.
1: I, yeah, it, I, I know I know. it's, you know, especially with that particular patient's, um, you know, and, and I'm presence gonna. presence of mind at that time was, you know, uh, you know, uh, not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, mince words, but, uh, you know, m- asking, you know, making me, you know, tell her, uh, hey, you know, don't let me die, you know. And she's, she's already going down that path of being her own worst enemy. But then thinking about it on this end of it, uh, you know, on the other end of it, Yes, it would have maybe increased her level of anxiety. It Would have definitely increased her her, her level of pain at that time. Uh, I'm not so sure how you know an IM injection you know pre-drilling uh, a fentanyl would have done. It, you know, remains to be seen. I, don't know. I haven't had much luck with it with uh, with larger people, but um, I do know after I would have had it. Now I've got access. Now I can. Deliver pain management. I can deliver fluid. I can do everything I need to do. And then if something, you know, I, I can manage her blood pressure, you know. So I can give her more nitro uh, because I can keep her BP up. Um, and if she decided to go south on me, I'm already, ahead, you know, step ahead of the game. So is the benefit in this case better to have done it? Looking back now, I probably should have.
0: And and I'm gonna cut in to to kind of go into that. Is it is it going to hurt the infarct further, you know, with mentation and, and how she's going to, you know, treat the you know the trauma of the IO because it's right. literally what it is. You're you're causing a you know an, right. a, a, we're a we're piece doing, of trauma. We're doing Absolutely. harm to do no harm. Right. Yeah. So I I have to quote my main or uncle in it's hard saying not knowing. Right. Right? Because you don't know. know. She could be completely fine or she flips out and, oh, look, she went from, you know, three millimeters elevation to six. Well, we're screwed. Right. Right. Um, It's hard saying not knowing. But you and I had the conversation and. And I want to touch base on it because it is it's this is the the big thing that was taught to me in the transition from EMT to intermediate was the fact of BLS providers are taught to recognize this is bad. Let's get the fuck out of here and get to the hospital, get to the paramedic, get out of here intermediates and paramedics are taught this is bad okay let me stay here for a little bit focus in on what needs to be done to stabilize then we'll get going right. so when you and I were talking about this the other day it was it, in my thought process I might not have I might have done at least the attempt for the IV in the in her room, right. instead of going ten minutes and going down to the down to the truck, yeah. try it in the room. Maybe you have success. Right, you're not losing any time. You're just doing it at a different place. Right. So then, because I I personally, you know, me being me as a paramedic, I do not give nitro ever without
1: lines. And I never have. And, and I
0: know you have until. Yeah. I've never done it you yeah. know at, until this point in time
1: yeah no, that was the first one I, and that's why i was just uneasy the whole way in
0: i would have um, i would have been petrified Every oh, well, was, every time I you know every time the NIBP cuff would have blown up, I would have been like, oh, I'm screwed. She's gonna I, die right I, in front of me. Here we I, go." Dude, I use the example. It's gonna be thirty over twelve. Here it comes.
1: I, I use the example. Roll was, the dice. What i was talking about with USI last that it, literally it was. It, I felt like I, every time that I see the the NIBP cycle, I was I felt like I was at Vegas. Yep. Like I'm sitting here waiting for sevens to come up. <laughs> snake out. <eyes>. Yep. <Yeah. laughs> you know? And that's
0: it. Like so, you know, do you take the extra time to? Try that crazy IV, you know. Huh? Put it in a thumb with a twenty-four. I don't care. It's something. Believe me, I've done it. Oh I know. But, <laughs> but as we know, um, with this
1: one with this particular person, there's nothing. I know there is nothing, and like, and oh, that's man.
0: and that's tough, you know. Yeah. So, you know, me personally, I probably would have treated this one, you know. Try the line. If I don't get the line, me personally. She's having a significant cardiac event where I have to do certain treatments to prevent a certain outcome. Right. She's getting drilled,
1: yeah.
0: it, 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 and and that's my opinion. I don't know if I would have been as nice and been like, yeah, maybe we'll. Cause
1: I unfortunately do have kind of like nice guy syndrome sometimes. Sometimes you like do, that.
0: but I'm. I, I would have explained that. it to her very nicely. But she probably still would have done it. Unless she outright said no. And then I'm like, well, hands tied, here you go. If she were to refuse
2: it, would you still give her the nitro? No. I don't think I necessarily would have changed anything that you had done. No. So I guess looking at it from... I'm going to be the nurse part of myself here. Being oh my. in a hospital, frequently we give nitro without access. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not getting access. But I'm not waiting for that line to give the nitro to the patient complaining of chest pain. Right. Especially... If they're having a cardiac event, because we get EKGs very quickly, same as right. on on the ambulance. Right. Um, I have sent people to the cath lab without access. Really?
1: Okay.
2: Having nitro. As long as we're monitoring the pressure. Now, I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to cycle that pressure every 20 minutes and call it a day. No, I'm probably going to do it every three minutes. Yeah. So I absolutely have a pressure before. But if you think about the onset of nitro sublingually, which is what we're giving, correct? Right. Yeah. The onset's, what, 30 seconds to a minute? Something like that, yeah. Duration's 30 to 60. So in that time that you're going from the hospital, that one dose of nitro has already worn off. Okay. If her pressure maintained after the peak of that, yeah. I would have given her another one. Okay. So I don't, I don't see the IO thing as a, oh, I'm not giving nitro without access. However, when I was only on an ambulance, I had the same mindset. So mm-hmm. it's just different past experiences play well, yeah, into and your decisions now.
0: You know, um, I, I think when you were explaining past experiences, I think that comes into play a lot. Yeah. It's huge, you know, especially as as you know, field providers, we lean on past experience all the time. Like, oh, hey, I've seen this, yeah. right? They might do this, right. you know, or they might do that. I'm gonna be prepared. Right. Because I've seen this before. I know what's coming. I know what's coming. Right. I've seen that person bottom out uh, in front of me with a cardiac event. So I'm going to withhold nitro.
1: And in the, Yeah. In you this know? instance, I've seen, you know, with, with, with both choices, you know, facing me, I've seen the worst of both ends of it. Right. I've seen right. I've seen, you know, inserting an IO into a conscious patient where. You know, this person was in already in excruciating pain, and this they they were in a lot more pain afterwards. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, uh, that's something that you don't really forget because you know we're we're not here to cause pain; we're here to take pain away. Right. But in order to take his pain away, I had to hurt him really bad, mm-hmm. and I hurt him bad. Right, and that that is and that was in my head, and but I've also had. Looking at the other side of it, I've had people where, yeah, oh, you're 160 systolic here. Have a shot of nitro Bottom you know, of for mouth. your STEMI. And then all of a sudden I look back and they're 90 systolic. Right. Holy right. crap, what the hell just happened? What's wrong with you? And you right. it's true. And, you know,
0: <laughs> I think, you know, thinking about the, you know, thinking about what I would have done in that situation, I'm thinking I don't like to be behind eight balls, right? Right. And that's how I would have felt, right? That's exactly it, how I felt. It, the entire call, I would have been uneasy because I'm like, okay, I can give aspirin. I can give oxygen, if you know, if the patient yeah. needs it. I can give pain management to decrease, you know, the the cardiac, you know, Need for oxygen, right? Yeah. Is the is the nitro really helping? Probably, right? Aspirin's the big one. Oh yeah. Nitro just assists the aspirin. So, I think in my mindset, if I'm behind the eight ball, like hey, if I don't have a line, and she. Codes, well, fuck. Yeah, that's one more right. Thing I, have to do I now. am right. well behind the eight ball right. now. Right, I got pads. I got CPR. I don't even have a line. I'm screwed. Right. You know, I think that would have pushed me past experience wise yeah. to look and be like, I'm gonna. I'm it gonna takes do
2: one it. time to be behind the eight ball on a call, and you'll never do it again. And you'll so never that's do it again. That, right.
0: You know, so I I do think a lot of what we we're gonna discuss going around the table is what things in the back of our head make us choose do we do it do we not do it yeah here's past experience
1: yeah and it was and it's yeah it's a combination of two past experiences that are stark contrast to each other mm-hmm. you know that really drove my decision to sit on my hands right basically I mean with the you did I mean, all the other stuff yeah, I mean, oh yeah she got aspirin she was getting oxygen um she was telling me that uh with the nitroglycerin, there was relief from the pain. It was it was getting lesser and lesser, um, so I held off on any I M pain management. Um, maybe I could have.
0: And you're giving, you know, here's the but other again, thing.
1: I'm giving. I don't want to give a narcotic without access. IV access. Yeah. So, well, and that's it too. Yeah. You, know? you know. So as long as she was getting relief, I kept you know, I guess rolling the dice, shall we say, Mm -hmm. that, you know, she wasn't going to bottom out. We're going to maintain this pressure. We're going to be okay. Right. Uh, We're going to get her there, and I won't have to do I'm just
0: going to, you know, pinch my butt cheeks and hope. But, 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 you
1: know, along the way, somewhere along the way, uh, and I actually documented it, that uh, I did discuss that, you know, if things got worse and I had to because she... She's well aware that she, her, her veins are not good.
0: I've had the same and, discussion yes. with her. <laughs> and, and, I had,
1: and I basically explained to her what the IO procedure involved mm-hmm. and that I may have to do that. Yep. And, uh, but I also put the caveat that it's going to save your life. And she agrees. She says, yep, yeah, that you do what you've got to do. Yep. And so that kind of made me feel a little bit better because also I'm like, oh, thank you. You know? All right, there's a load off, so at least I, I'm half I, behind I, the eight ball now. You know, if yeah. I do have to go that route, we already know what's coming, right? You know, it's not going to be you know a, a big surprise. Yeah. Uh, so, I kind of put me a little bit at ease, but I was still very leery. Uh, and I think along the trip, I delivered five doses of nitro along the way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you we're talking you know every time a I'm fair amount. There, yeah, every right. time I'm going in there, I'm like, oh, please don't be the one, you know. <laughs>
0: Please let me pick the right slot machine today. <laughs> bar bar cherry. Shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so moving on from from that past experience, I want to turn to you Emily cuz you you were kind of brainstorming an interesting EMT related uh, you know, decision-making process yes. here. So, and, and I think it's something that we all focus on do we call a medic? do we not call a medic, but we don't ever focus on what you're going to talk about.
2: So I want to talk about for all my lovely EMTs and medics out there is when do we treat a patient with the tools that we have and when do we wait for the medic to treat? Um, I've hit this a bunch of times. I don't really have a specific story, but I've hit this a bunch of times where you show up on scene, and for example, you have a patient with chest pain. Am I going to give them aspirin and their own nitro now? Or is my medic that's seven minutes away do am I going to wait for them maybe I'll give the ice aspirin and wait for the nitro maybe I'll do both maybe I won't do either maybe I'll work on extricate. you know whatever the case may be when do I decide that nope I'm going to treat this now and when my medic gets here he gets here
0: Mm -hmm. and working now in a you know emt you know, EMTs are on their own and, you know, paramedic in the fly car type systems. Mm-hmm. That's a It's a big difference than what I've always been used to of EMT paramedic or double paramedic in one truck. You know, so coming from that experience, there's a lot of times where I'm just like, I get there and I'm like, guys, why? Why didn't we meet? 20 minutes that way. You know? Like, you you don't have to cancel me. I'm willing to come. I want to come. Right? Right. I'm bored sitting in the station, (laughs) twiddling my thumbs, watching Netflix. (laughs) I want to do something. But why did you not start moving? Right. You know? Do what you do. Meet me somewhere.
2: Right. We don't need to wait, necessarily. We don't need to wait for a higher level care to come to scene. But it also plays a point. You made a point to say, if you're on a BLS agency and your medics in the fly car versus you have a paramedic and an EMT on an ambulance, Mm -hmm. does that change your mind? So if me and you are on a scene for a chest pain, we'll keep with, am I going to give aspirin or am I just going to let you do it?
0: I'll just probably knowing me, I'm going to hand it to you.
2: But as an EMT, (laughs) if it wasn't just, I'm going to be
0: rooting in the bag and here (laughs) Give this because I'm already getting out other stuff.
2: We can still do that. It's still right. within our protocols. Right. Just communicate. I'm gonna say like I'm not one to stay and play. I'm not one. I'm sorry. I'm not one to stay and play and wait for a medic. I should stay. Right. Um, I make it a game to try and race the medics off scene. That's funny. Catch up to me? Right. Not really. But um I, you know, I think it makes a point. A lot of times. We'll be, as an EMT, mm-hmm. we'll be on scene and I'll have my partners and be like, oh, I'm going to call a medic. We'll just wait for them. I don't need, we don't need to wait for them. Yeah, That's I, really not needed.
1: Well, yeah, <laughs> Having having worked in a, in a fly car system before as a fly car medic, si- similar experience, uh, you know, you, one of the biggest frustrations for me was, you know, showing up on scene and, you know, there's this eight-man BLS crew, mm-hmm. you know, from an all-volunteer agency. All standing and, there. Uh, you know... Oh, what do you got? Oh, we've got, you know, struggling to breathe for three days, and they're turning blue, and, you know. They, look they got a nasal cannula, yeah. at 25 <laughs> liters. What? Uh, what? So, what, so what have you done? Well, we've yeah, we've got a nasal cannula on them, and we're giving them, you know, three liters per minute. It's like, and
0: we got the
1: clipboard. And the, cli- and the clipboard is ever-present.
2: But don't worry, I have demos.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Right, right. I've got, well, hey, you know what? Those are great. Because awesome. the only demo
0: they- I need is... Ma'am, what's your name? Yeah. <laughs> Mary. Okay, we're gonna run with it, Mary. Let's Honestly, go. Honestly,
1: you know what? I love it when they have all the patient information for me. That' great. You just you save me a bunch of time and it's a bunch of you know stupid repetitive questions. That's great. I appreciate it. Eight man crew, one person can do that. No problem. You don't need all eight to do what that. What are the other seven doing? Uh, so, yeah. No, one of the biggest frustrations was you know showing up on scene or there were times meeting for an intercept and you get there. And it's like, okay, well, what have you done? Well, we got them on a nasal cannula, three liters. Oh, okay, but they're blue. Well, yeah, that's why we called you. Right. You know, it's <laughs> like, and, and at the time, you can't berate them. Well, I mean, I know some people do. I don't. Um, I like, you know, especially with volunteer agencies, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart. They're, you know, they're coming out, you know, all hours of the night and stuff. Uh, so I won't berate them on scene. I will curse their freaking name as soon as I leave. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I'll, I'll okay. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for the report. Okay, I'll take it from here and off we go. But yeah, it, it just seems like there's this EMT paralysis bug uh, that, and I don't know. Maybe people out there who live in you know and work in different states, uh, maybe they have different experiences. But here in this state, it seems like. Uh, the EMT has been beaten out of EMTs mm-hmm. and they have, you know, been beaten to the point of, oh, uh, I am just a picker-upper ambulance driver.
2: I'm gonna well, hold on though, because I'm gonna stick up for the EMTs. I've been on both ends of this where I've been on scene, I've treated, and then I've had a medic show up and go up one side of me and down right. the other. A, so that's, I understand that's so it, not but right.
1: yeah, yeah, but I mean, it happens.
2: I get it, guys. And, and,
1: and working at agencies, I mean, most honestly, let's be right, most agencies now. That have, you know, EMT paramedics in the truck are very paramedic heavy with what mm-hmm. can and can't be done. Mm-hmm. And EMTs are limited to. You know, the bullshit. Yeah, pretty much lift lift this and push on that. Oh, you're going to work
2: on extrication and figure out, you know, go get the stair chair or, or go get the, get the Reeves chair, you know. or right. go grab this. I'm a gopher.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And, and it's, it's sad because that's what they've been relegated mm-hmm. to. And being an EMT in one of those, you know, agencies, I, I've I've been there. Uh, you know, as an EMT, I remember, you know, feeling completely useless because I know I could do more. I know I could do other things, but I guess I'll just go get the stair chair. Well, and you know?
0: yeah, I think to, un- to unpack both of those, I think, you know, past experience when I was an EMT eons ago, there were agencies that I worked for that... You know, when I got hired, I was like, this is the kind of provider I am. I am in the shit, knee deep with my paramedic. We have a seizing patient. I am in the ALS bag, pulling out narcs, Mm -hmm. giving them to them. I'm not drawing them up. I'm handing them to him. But here's the needle with it. Here's the syringe with it. Like, I know what needs to be done. I'm going to help them. Right. I'm getting this. I'm putting them on the monitor. I'm doing all that stuff. And they were like, you know what? That's awesome. We want you. But then on the flip side, I've been to agencies, interviewed, said the same thing. And they're like, nope, you're not even allowed in that bag. Right. You will not do anything like that. And I was like, sorry, I don't want to work here.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, but
0: yeah, one more point is I you say there's a paralysis of EMTs. I think it's one step further in that there's a paralysis of EMTs, but this state. And I think a lot of other states have made medics the savior Mm -hmm. and EMTs are conditioned to be like, I can't do this but the medic is going to save me because they can.
2: And look at CPAP in New York State. I'm talking to all you New York State people. They just gave CPAP to BLS providers in New York State. But for years, oh, this person needs CPAP, this person needs CPAP. We can recognize that, but it's, oh, well, the medic's got to do it, so let's just call a medic. Oh, well, you know, before all of the skills that we have, now it's starting to roll out that we can do 12 lead, BLS 12 leads. Oh, well, we used to have to call a medic. Any chest pain had to call a medic because we needed 12 lead. Mm -hmm. So it's we are conditioned to that.
0: Right. And that and that is a you know, you want to sit there and say, We train the best right. but you're you are paralyzing yeah. the people into a condition of well, I'm sorry, the hospital's twelve minutes away.
1: Or five minutes.
0: But I'm gonna wait thirty minutes for a medic right. to get here to I do a 12, twelve. lead, lead.
1: Right. right. You know. Well, and to go along with what you were saying about, and to tell you what the, the biggest eye opener was, was, uh, and also another thing that really helped me along my, my path of learning, you know, when to pull the trigger on things and when not to, um, you know, having worked at a system where, you know, as an EMT, I was the EMT for, you know, 15, 20 minutes until the paramedic could get there. And then also, uh volunteering at a fire department where we were BLS first response and I'm the EMT unseen until the BLS volunteer agency would show up, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes later, and then maybe a paramedic would show up, you know. So a lot of those decisions, you know, fell on my shoulders and then, but to go along with uh, with what you were saying about, you know, the medics going up one side and down the other, uh, and it really does demoralize the EMTs to the point where they just, you know, put their hands up and say F it. Uh, and it was an eye opener for me uh, responding to a call with my fire department after being a paramedic for probably about six months or so. So I'd already been out there doing my thing. You know, I was working at a very high call volume agency. So, you know, I, I, I could, I may not have been there and done that, but I definitely had the t-shirt and, uh, you know, so it still had creases <laughs> in it from the plastic, a bit, but you know what I mean? It was fresh off the rack, but, but I was wearing it and, uh, you know, and we had a chest pain call. Uh, the truck driver pulled off the side of the, the interstate. We show up on scene first. Uh, unfortunately, our, our local ambulance couldn't get a crew together, so we ended up uh, calling for an ALS unit f- uh, from another town. I administered aspirin. I administered uh, oxygen. Um, you know, taking vitals. You know, we didn't have nitro. He didn't have nitro, so I couldn't you know couldn't go down that route. Uh, but you know. The, the ALS ambulance shows up. The crew jumps out. I start trying to give them a report. They, you know, pretty much, like, don't even want to hear anything Who are you? Go it. away. Until, until yeah. I say I've administered 324 of aspirin patients on, you know, six-liter nasal cannula at this time. Because that's all he, he, was, he was saying, like, 92, and I just bumped him up to, like, like 98. And uh, as soon as I said yeah, i administered 324 of aspirin uh, about, you know, 10 minutes ago, why did you administer the aspirin? You don't. You haven't gotten a twelve lead yet. Mm-hmm. You, you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You don't. And I, this dude literally berated me. Now, <clears throat> again, this is and this is a great uh, learning opportunity for all you paramedics out there uh, who think you're gods and walk on water. Uh, when you respond to a BLS crew or a volunteer agency or a, anyone of lesser care, and that person, especially with volunteers, shows up and starts giving you a report. Take the report. Be courteous. Be polite. Be professional, and do your job. Because little did he know, I knew his effing boss. Well, and he was a good friend of mine. Right. It, well, it's he not was even done that. Going up one side of me and down the other, he ended up having to stand tall before the man when he got back to his station. Well, it's not even that, but, but it, it, it's one of those it, things where as a, as he as if I was a brand new EMT, that would have set a tone.
0: Well, it, it sets a tone, but it you know. Looking at that example specifically, yeah, I go on to a scene, you're my first responder. Right. I don't know that you're a paramedic Exactly. that is working a full-time gig, doing 30 calls a week, and you're just volunteering as an EMT on the side, right? right? So who am I, big bad paramedic, to come in and be like, hey, Mr. CFR. You don't know a goddamn thing when you and I are the exact same level, right? And,
2: and I want like to a shout out to the paramedics out here listening. Like, take a second and think: Were they doing the best thing for the patient? Because for your right. specific example, you were treating the patient. Right. There was nothing wrong with there. So, because he would have done it after twelve lead, did that hurt the patient at all? Absolutely not.
0: Right. You know, just because Pick it might battles. not, and it, it, it might not just be the way you do it. Right. Doesn't mean but it's wrong. Is it art? Is he literally standing over them, stabbing them in right. the head with a fork, <laughs> or is he treating the patient properly? They right, a so painful
1: response. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> His eyes are opening every time <laughs> I stab him. <laughs> um, so I, I want to I want to turn it around and go back and say to you, Emily, what what can you tell EMTs that are sitting here listening to this, going, okay, well, she says wait, don't wait, but how, how do I make that decision? Like where, where is the line in your opinion? Like what would make you wait, not wait?
2: So I'm going to look at the patient always is, is it a benefit to the patient to wait? Now, in my mind, I always say, is it a benefit to wait 10 minutes for a medic to get there? And then I think, what are they going to do? That's going to make that better. What are they going to do? That's going to make it worth it for their 10 minutes of muscle of time, whatever the case may be. Time's the only thing that you cannot get back. So mm-hmm. is it worth it to wait? Is it worth it to go and try and get maybe a different provider on the way? I do rural EMS, so I always have a decent transport time. Um, maybe the closest medic to me is coming from behind me, but I can get somebody out of the city or something. Mm-hmm. You know, right. maybe I'll play that part. But right. at the end of the day, what does your patient need?
0: Right. right. And and I think, you know, being we we kind of talked about this on last month's podcast, where you have to be confident in your BLS approach, correct? Right mm-hmm. your your EMTs have to sit there and be confident that they actually know what they're doing and can make the decisions of Do I need a medic? No. Do I need a medic? Yes. This time's definitely right. a yes even further you said it the other day do i need a chopper right right emts firemen can right. call for a helicopter Absolutely. in our state now granted it might not be everywhere but new york a fireman a policeman can call on her little ding radio yep. for a helicopter right and yeah. my wife scoops down and goes all right what's going on
1: yeah
0: right EMTs can do that. Absolutely, they don't need to that's wait fifteen not minutes an for the
1: paramedic. You know it's not a, an ALS skill. You know scale. how to assess a patient. You know, you know if a patient needs you and, know super duper care right effing now. Right, and that's you know? it. Right, so we all evaluate patients.
0: Yep. And fundamentally, an ALS assessment, and, uh, and Gerard and Emily are looking at me, <laughs> floating quotations in the air because. <laughs> Yeah, we do some things a little different. Maybe we go in depth a little bit here or there. It's
1: still ABC OPQRST sample.
0: But that's it. Yep. Fundamentally, a BLS exam and an ALS exam is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you have a rock solid approach to your, you know, physical exam, you're finding all the same stuff. Yep. So why can't you make that decision? Does this need? They can make that decision. They can, and they just need the confidence to do so.
1: They need to be confident that, hey, you know what? You earned the card. You nobody handed it to you, um, so you earned the right. I mean, somebody somebody handed it to them. Well, but they earned
0: it. But you 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 did the work for that. You did. You did the work. You did the work. Be proud of it.
2: Right. It's a terrible joke. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) You earned the card. You have you. It is well within your scope of practice assess a patient and call for the higher level of care. If that higher level of care comes in a helicopter, that's what it needs. Then that's what you do. Yep.
0: Yeah. I, and I agree with all of that. And you know, for any of the, you know, EMTs seasoned or whatever, brand new card dripping, you know, work on, don't, don't allow, if you're working in, you know, a BLS agency, you know, work with your partner to take turns doing stuff. Don't let one partner who's say more upfront personality do every assessment. Sit there and be like, yo, we're going to switch off. You can do this one. I'm doing this one, whatever. Especially do that with your paramedics. Mm -hmm. Every single time I'm with an EMT, they do the assessment. They walk in first because that's how I was. I want them to be like me when I was an EMT. So I tell them, listen, I'm going to go talk to the family. You figure out what's going on. If I need to jump in because it's bad, I'll jump in when I need to. Right. But most paramedics don't do that. They want to be the overbearing superheroes and get humble. Stop that. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the best thing that I can
1: say. I mean, there's, there's literally times when, you know, we go, I go on a call with, uh, with one of my partners and I'm just like, listen to what is going on while the EMT is, is talking to the patient and I'm, Talking with you know a family member or whatever, you're getting more of a history, or you know if the patient's like a elderly or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean there, there's there's times I'm doing my stuff and EMT comes back and says this is what is going on and I'm like, yeah, all right, me. let's.
2: And don't be afraid to ask questions. If I'm a new EMT and I'm doing an assessment and then Turk's going to come and do an assessment, like, what did I miss? What did you find that I didn't? How can I do that? Yep.
0: You know. And I love that because I don't see everything. No. My EMT sees 50% of the call. Yeah. Right? And in their mind, they're seeing 100% of the call. So they they can see something. They can hear something. They could think of something. Yeah that I never even think of because always, I'm I'm sitting there looking at my conversation of in my head do I IO this person do I not IO this right, person right. and they're like uh dude they're not even breathing and I'm like oh <laughs> shit I should uh do BLS before ALS right. right and so things are missed so you know we should probably listen to our you know
1: yeah. EMT cohorts yeah, one thing I always tell like a new EMT partner or a uh, new EMT. Uh, hey, if we're on a call and you feel like you're standing there and you don't know what to do, take the glucometer and get a freaking blood sugar. <laughs> just just do it. Don't ask me if I want one. Just take it. Because chances are, I'm thinking of so many other things. Unless it's a diabetic, I'm not thinking about the blood sugar. You know, so you just tell go. them to listen to lung sounds. At the very, at, yeah. yeah, or listen to lung sounds. Do mm-hmm. something like that. Do something... Just do something, you know, simple, well within your scope of practice to do. You don't have to ask me whether or not right. to do it. Just yep. do it. Just do know. it.
0: Um, any other things that you want to touch base on before we move on from now? Do you think we hammered that one enough? Oh, Be yeah. confident. I think so. Be confident. I want to hear you. You want to hear me? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm going the airway route. Okay. Okay? So... One of the things that I get pounded for by my lovely wife because I love her to death. But as Emily said, she is the literal smartest person in the room. Hands down. Um, And she gets it from her dad. It's terrible. So, <laughs> And both of them have made me feel like, you know, a half an inch big for this. This exact concept is when do we intubate? someone, whether it be RSI or non-RSI or bigger yet, and this is where they hammer it home with me, is post-cardiac arrest with ROSC. So do you intubate a ROSC patient or do you not? And I think we should touch base on both of those. So RSI, yes. RSI, no. Where are your limitations there? Like, What is the Yep, this is getting it because we've you haven't done one, but you've been a part of mm-hmm. many, right, Emily? You and I have done one together. Yeah. You and I have done them separately, and there's always that fine line of, boom, we've we've
1: exhausted
0: all options, or you know what? This just accelerated enough where
1: I'm done. Again, it, with the, with the, the concept of when to pull the trigger on something, it. It's very black and white when we have exhausted everything, right? And then, okay, this is all we have left. Let's let's do that, right? You Here, know? here's or the, it. Or the here's patient it, stops breathing. Right.
0: This is all yeah. we have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Here's the COPD. You know? We've given that. We've given right. the you know albuterol, atrovent. We've given right. the decam. You know we've the down, decadron. We've, done we've, we've given you know yeah. mag and maybe epi. Right. And yeah. We've given CPAP, and they still suck. Right. And so. we're like, well.
1: What else do I got? It's another story when it's, you know, the patient's still breathing on their own, but there's that potential for the loss of airway. Uh, You know, Emily and I were talking about a a recent uh, case she had in the emergency room where there was a potential for loss of airway. The Mm -hmm. airway was still there, but the potential was very high for it to not be there very much longer. And, you know, when do you pull that trigger? You know, you're again like with me with the nitroglycerin, you're rolling the dice, some you know that's and, not and always it, a good thing to do. And and, and, and looking looking
0: airway, at right. it you looking know? at it as rolling the dice, it's one thing to roll the dice with a blood pressure. Right. I can most likely Airway's get a blood pressure different. back. Yes. Yeah. I if I lose an airway, I've lost yeah, it. Lost it's everything. gone. <laughs> I agree. And now they're yeah. dead. Because
2: Yeah.
0: I ain't getting nothing back. Right? It's not like I can just open up their throat and be like, airway. Right. No, it's not. It ain't happening. Right.
2: I find that for me specifically, I'm definitely much more aggressive when we're talking about an airway versus a line for the nitro. Like, right. you heard my opinion on that. Right. I'm not sure that I would have gone with the IO. Right. Neither here than that. However, for airway, I you cannot lose that airway.
0: And that's right. it. So, yeah. you know, RSI, yes, is pretty cut and dry, right? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it, you know, a head injury that they're becoming belligerent? Maybe it's an unsafe situation. You know, is it an airway issue or is it a safety issue? Right. If it's a safety issue for the crew and the person, yes, they're getting our side. Right. Could they last with no airway? Sure. They're maintaining, but it's a safety issue. So right. they're going to get our side. Mm-hmm. You know, airway, the one you and I did, right? Right. She literally exhausted Everything. She tired out. There was no reserve left. It was the only thing that we could do yep. to keep her breathing. That's pretty cut and dry, yep. right? With the ROSC patient, though, we come into the territory of they're still breathing on their own. There's no airway compromise. It's not swollen. There's no burns, right?
1: But there's a big butt.
0: But there's that big butt, Right. You I didn't. Lie. You yeah. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't intubate during the, you know, cardiac arrest portion. Maybe right. it was such a quick roster. Right, that yeah, you just got them right back. You yeah. boom, right? The you witnessed yeah. boom. Okay. Now, do you give them a paralytic and a sedative maybe knock out their blood pressure that you've just gotten back? Right? right? Because back most people yeah. choose the wrong drugs. Of course. Yeah. No. Because right? it's a whole nother topic. <laughs> because God forbid doctors still go, Oh yeah, uh, um their their blood pressure is 60 over 40. Let's use automated and sucks. <laughs> uh why are they coding, Mr. Attending? But I don't know. Why did we use automated and sucks? Right? <laughs> Literally, mm-hmm. it happens, yeah. right? So Every day. doctors, yeah. paramedics, we use the wrong drugs because we, we suck. suck. Right? <laughs> And we don't think things through. It, it's like my right. one of my favorite childhood movies, Operation Dumbo Drop. These
1: guys Literally, like you don't think things guys through. Guys
0: like you don't think things through,
1: right? <laughs> That's right.
0: So, <laughs> I'm so did, glad that I just...
2: <laughs> you oh no. are aging yourselves. <laughs> it was
0: like made in 1996. Shut up.
2: Uh, <laughs> You're <so>. aging yourselves. <laughs>
0: So anyhow, um, you know, when is that? Where is that threshold for post-cardiac arrest? ROSK situations where they have pulses, they're breathing on their own. They're breathing at a adequate rate. They have a good pulse ox, right? They're satting well on their own. Maybe just a non-rebreather.
1: You're going to make that decision to take it all away.
0: But now we're sitting there going. Sucks to be you, dude. They're going to intubate you in the hospital. I'm going to intubate you right now. Do, like, I, for the most part, unless I really feel like this is going to be a hinky airway, and yes, they're going to code in three minutes, I probably wait. But then there's the other side of the coin where my wife and her dad would be like, hell no, you don't wait. They are getting RSI'd on the spot.
1: Yeah, and and I'm of that mindset as well. Just the fact that they've already been in cardiac arrest what do we know about people that have been in cardiac arrest they like to go back into cardiac arrest it's such a beautiful place it's a, it's a, it's a nice place you know, the, the unicorns run by and the, you know, the birds are chirping and all that good stuff they can go to the light it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to do but uh, wow I'm bad <laughs> but, but, uh, but no it, you know it, it, it is a tough decision, even, even just RSI, you know, diff breathers and stuff, you know, you're, you're making a conscious decision to take a person's right to breathe away from them and say, I'm taking over your responsibility to be alive. Right. Um, but in the Rosk situation, for me, it's, would I have intubated them during the arrest after a couple of rounds? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we got Rosk after, you know, one round of Epi, a, a little pushy-pushy in pushy the Right, you didn't, you didn't get you time. Know, didn't have time to do the intubation well guess what I'm gonna do it now mm-hmm. because this person the, probably the first bump we hit going into you know the city we service uh, which has such lovely highways um, they're paved such you know with such pristine you know sorry you could say it. it's I I 88 say, is terrible yeah, it's, it's, it's rubbish. <laughs> 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 Well, yeah, you hit that first bump, boom, back into arrest. Now what? Now I don't have my airway. Right, and um, you know,
0: it, it's it's eye opening to me because you know my, my my wife and her dad pretty much say the exact same thing, yeah. and and I just harped on behind the eight ball. Yeah, I'm literally mm-hmm. putting myself behind, behind the eight the ball.
2: ball. They cannot protect that airway,
0: right? Mm. So it it's a it's an interest. Like I'm not defending. Yeah, don't yeah. do it because it's been made to the point where I've now started to, but it's, it's an interesting theory because if I'm thinking about it, Mm -hmm. guaranteed another paramedic out there is thinking the exact same thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. Right. And and, you know,
2: and how long did, did education go? And it was BLS airways before ALS. You don't necessarily mm. have to put an advanced airway in.
0: Right. But how good are we at bagging? Right. Right. At least if they're on a vent, With, you know, good settings and it's not a freaking palm vent that you're blowing 550 (laughs) at 16 into someone that's 96 pounds because that's the only setting on the damn thing. You know, if you got a nice LTV, you got something that you can control stuff
1: with. Or honestly, you know, let's face it, you're, you know, if you're a paramedic in a system like we are where we have, you know, paramedic EMT. Eventually, that EMT is going to be driving, and you're going to be in the back by yourself. Honestly, the the, the, the well, the few that I've run in well, in that instance, I, I just bag it myself because I know I can bag them better than that that stupid little football can do mm-hmm. it. Um, oh, it's such a bad! I hate that freaking <laughs>
0: thing. I'm sure everyone out there, if you've used a palm vent football thing, yeah, <laughs> you're like, oh, I hate that thing, Joe.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're garbage, but uh, <laughs> but. No, you know, it, it was put to me this way, and this is why, because it was a question that had come up. Um, I think when I was working out west, and um, and I was originally of the mindset, well, hey, you know, if they're breathing on their own, and, and hey, shit, let's, let sleeping dogs lie, you know. I don't, I don't and that was my
0: original mindset, right? They're right breathing on right. their own; they're doing good, counting resp's. It's
1: good. Well, and and it was things so I was working in a, <clears throat> excuse me, in an agency where uh, we didn't have RSI, but. We had a uh, helicopter EMS crew based in the same town, um, so they're literally, you know, a two-minute ride from where we are. They have all the RSI capability, so it was the discussion was, uh, and they had always had never had a problem just you know running out, jumping on our ambulances, and doing things for us. <clears throat> so
0: I may or may not know exactly where you're talking. You do know <laughs> exactly where I'm talking about.
1: So uh, <laughs> yeah, so you know it, that particular thing had come up and uh before of course i was you know let the sleeping dog lie Hey, we got uh, that's great and it was put to me that you know just think about it in simple terms what is your gcs is it Mm -hmm. less than eight what were you taught less than eight yep keep it simple stupid and that's it you
0: know know, don't overthink things you know here i am overthinking the most simple thing you know can an unresponsive person cuz they're unresponsive Correct. they're breathing this on their own this
1: isn't tv this isn't 911 right. texas or freaking you know first responders whatever the heck show on sirens TV. is still the best sirens is the best it's you, such a it, show it. but uh yeah you know this isn't where you know you push twice you find some moron that will actually put their lips on somebody else's lips to blow into it and then suddenly they I'm rise alive. like Jesus on the third day <laughs> You know, and and they're talking. About, no, it's not like that, and we all know that. So, yeah, if if their GCS is not to the point of being able to protect an airway, then absolutely protect. You have to. An airway. You have to do it.
0: Yeah. Yep. Now, would you just just opinion question? Would you go uh, full on uh, RSI, or would you? You know, if they're unresponsive, try like a supraglottic device or something. If like if you have an OPA in and you know they're not they don't have a gag reflex
1: right if the OPA is already you in, know I'm gonna go ahead and intubate mm-hmm. and then maybe do procedural sedation along the way if they start bucking yep um, I think that's yeah, a smart way yeah, if of there's doing it gag reflex why am I gonna use paralytics and well and that's it stuff? you
0: know yeah. but some you know there's yeah. there's a mindset out there of you know especially in an RSI heavy environment like we are not our agency specific but our area is very rsi hmm. heavy
1: for me R- i think a RSI lot of people is, forget
0: that you don't always have to use a paralytic right for me rsi know?
1: is something for you know you're using that procedure for someone who is breathing on their own you know is conscious and we're going to we're going to change that and make them unconscious, right? Then we're gonna breathe for them. Yep, uh, if someone's already unresponsive and they have no gag reflex, I don't need to paralyze them, mm-hmm. I don't need to put sedation in. You know, I can intubate, that's why you know, we, so now we're taught on mannequins, right? You know, yep, um, but uh, you know, again, if you, if you start getting resistance, they start chomping, you know, or you, you go into laryngoscope and they start, you know, doing anything that you don't like or biting down, then yeah, okay, then, then we'll go to the RSI, but yeah, try it first without you know, you don't need to go through go through all that, that rigmarole. Just, yep, uh,
0: I agree. You know, Anything, Dad?
2: No, I love it. I totally agree with that. You do not need to paralyze and sedate every single intubation you do.
0: And and I I, I totally wish more people would have that mindset. Because, yeah. I mean, like I said, there's, there's places that are so RSI heavy. It's like... Uh, Especially okay. when you
2: watch them and you see them choose the wrong drugs or maybe not the best ones for those patients. And right. you're just like, oh, what are we doing?
1: Yeah. And, so, and I learned that from being at an agency that was very (laughs) RSI heavy and I I would, I would say that while I learned a lot of what to do, I learned a lot of what not to do. Yeah. And I, and I think more like more when not to do things.
0: Well, and you know, we, we started off today talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, past experience. It comes into Mm -hmm. a lot of our decision making. You know, what did we see before? What did we see that went wrong before that we're going to do differently? Right. Are we going to do more BLS before ALS? Are we going to, you know, not, you know, now that we've, you know, established, hey, we didn't RSI or we didn't intubate these people. But now we've learned, hey, we probably should. So we're going to the next time, you know, if we encounter that situation, it all comes down to past experience, Um, you know, and I think
1: in in summation, I mean, that really is, I guess, the gist of what we've been getting is, is. Your experiences, your past experiences, your your level of experiences, what's really going to dictate, you know, whether or not you're going to pull that trigger for whatever whatever that particular procedure or or uh, you know operation you're going to do. Um, that's really probably the main driving force behind making those decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, experience is key, and you know, I have always feel
0: bad for the providers that just don't gain the experience whether they work in a slow system. And they only do one job, you know, in that system, or they're working with providers that are so overbearing that they're not allowed to have that experience. You know, get out, get your experience. You know, I'm I'm huge. I wish it was a law in this state that if you're a new EMT, you have to work commercial oh, for stop. a year. Don't break my heart. Uh, it's but <laughs> the amount of experience that you gain, good, bad, and ugly. Learning bedside
1: manner. I mean, Bedside phenomenal. Manner, yeah, I probably wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't start off doing uh, commercial EMS. You know, taking grandmas to their doctor I appointments mean, I, and stuff like that.
2: My saving grace is that I never work commercial, ever. Never.
0: See, I started in no. commercial.
2: <laughs> no, I do. I just <laughs> I, I because they're in it. Well, I'm That's not even going to go. I yeah, know. exactly. But my thing is, well, to you we'll you also it. get into this what you or you get out of this what you put into it. So put That's the right. effort in to educate yourself. Go and figure out the way to do this. You're not going to go through this without making mistakes. Learn from mm-hmm. them. Listen Don't a pretend podcast. you're perfect. Yeah. Listen to a podcast. Read a, podcast. Read. Read or a book. Or a YouTube
0: channel. <laughs> um so is there uh, we'll just leave this as an open topic. Is there anything else that you guys can think of that you want to touch base on, you know, something else that might have been a, you know, hairy decision like do we do this? Do we not do that? Not in
1: the emergency room.
2: Oh, there's probably a million <laughs> pre-hospitally right now. Um, <laughs> no, I think it, we just need to trust ourselves. If you're gonna make a decision, stick to it. Trust it. Do what you got to do. You know, call ALS. Don't call ALS. Treat the patient. Wait for ALS. Whatever the case may be. Just.
0: And I, and I think going medicine. going along with that is trusting again when not to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sitting there and going, do they really need me to you know do an IV? Do they really need me to give them this medication? You know, yeah. can I treat this this respiratory call with all oral medications? In you know, maybe they have terrible pipes, or they say, yeah, no, sorry, you're not stabbing me. I'll let the hospital stab me, but you're not doing it in the back of a moving ambulance. That yeah. happens a lot. They dude. will
2: totally say that. But my right? uh, my other advice to everybody listening is don't do your treatment based on what you think the hospital is going to do. You right. know, I can't tell you how many times mm-hmm. I get a report and they're like, oh, well, I didn't start a line because then you can't draw labs. I don't know where you're getting that from, but don't limit your interventions because of mine. Right. Different. Two different worlds. Right. Do what you got to do.
1: Yeah. And And- I mean, I would I would just say that uh along with the you know past experience, you know being a a big driving force in, in the decision making process good assessment mm. being able to assess the situation assess your patient properly you know that's going to be a uh, a key role in in whether or not you're going to make the right choice to you know intervention of what you're going to do or what you're not going to do. Well, and, that, and, and one thing I always tell the, you know, the, the, the new EMT students that we have is, you know, assess your patient, make your decision, and then have a testicular fortitude to live with it. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple, you know, because there are times when, yeah, we, it's better to just sit on your hands, but in those times when you have to do something, being paralyzed Because you're not confident in what you're doing, or confident in that you've assessed this patient properly, that you know the difference between, you know, anaphylactic shock and, you know, hemorrhoids. I mean, you know what I mean? It's a it's if you're not if you don't have that level of confidence, then yeah, you're gonna freeze. And that's not what your patient
0: needs right then. Right. And that's it. You know, you're you while you look dumb, you are literally allowing them to get worse. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it, it all comes down to, you know, if you're bad at assessments, do more, right? If Absolutely. If your partner does all of them, push them out of the way. Talk right. to them before the shift to be like, yo, you did every assessment for the last six shifts. You're not touching a patient today. Right. I'm doing all the charts. I'm writing everything in. And they're going to go, oh, I got to drive for today. Fuck yeah, sure. I'll be that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, Miss Daisy, let's go, right? right? That's what I would do. So you know, don't be afraid to sit there and be like, "Hey, I need to get better. This is a weak spot of mine." We
1: are horrible at admitting that we are bad at things. And that, Mm -hmm. that, that, literally, as soon as you said that, all I could think about, uh, I knew this. I knew my college education would actually come in handy one day. No, All all I thought about was Shakespeare. That is all. not where I thought you yeah, were no, going with either. this. <laughs> this above all to thine own self be true. Mm-hmm. If yep. you can't be true to yourself and know that, hey, you know what? I suck at this. I should probably get more practice. Yeah.
2: No one's going to be good at everything. No one's going to know everything. Yeah.
0: And, and you know what? I, I say it all the time to you know, my, my boys. I say it to students that you and I have taught. I've said it to partners that I've had. If someone berates you, makes mm. fun of you, hates your guts, whatever it may be in the negative fashion right. towards you trying to learn and improve because you don't know enough and they know more,
1: right?
0: they need a swift kick in the dome because <laughs> the they problem. they are the problem. you're trying to better yourself. Don't ever make fun of someone who's trying to learn. Don't ever make fun of somebody who's trying to get better at this job. I hate the old crusty son of a bitches that sit there and go, oh, you're the new guy? Ah, yeah, go fuck yourself. And then (laughs) haze them and don't teach them anything. Right? right? How are we going to get better as a profession Mm -hmm. if that's what we do? Right? I hate that. Take them... And nurture them and be like, listen, I'm going to make you better. Right? You're doing that with your new partner. And, and it's
1: going to go roll downhill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know?
0: Yeah. It, he's already got the mold. Yep. Yeah. Now it just needs to be molded into something really nice.
1: And without a fire pager on
0: the side. And without a fire pager.
2: It's going to end in the toilet. That pager uh, will be in the toilet. I'm telling it. you.
1: You're, you're, more, you're, you're nicer than I am because I said it's <laughs> going to end up in the mask. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, and that's absolutely right because, it, you know, if we do take the new people and, you know, treat them well, those that are deserving, because we all know there are some people that, you know, you just cannot fix. And they'll eventually just go wither, away anyway. Yeah, they'll, well, they'll, hopefully. They'll wither and blow away. But Mike Kimmock
0: deadfish theory. Hopefully. They'll go somewhere.
1: Yeah commercially enough. <laughs> I was just
0: going to say that right now you guys. Just going to say that. <laughs>
1: but, but yeah, it's going to roll downhill because they're going to be like, hey, you know, my experience when I was brand spanking new was really freaking cool. This, this cool paramedic, like, you know, took me in and showed me the ALS stuff to, you know, taught me how to do all this cool stuff. And
2: you want to create providers that you would like take care of your family. Right. I don't want some silly person that thinks they know everything take care of my husband or my family. Right. No, I want,
1: yeah, and then when it's their time to be, you know, the old crusty some bitch yep. that you know doesn't tie his shoes and you know is, you know third day. Don't in his don't freaking get me pants. started. Don't get you know? me started. I'll get on my soapbox. <laughs> you know, and we all know them. We, we we we've seen them. We work with them. We love them. And uh, you maybe know, you do. My point is, when it's their turn to be in that role, they're going to remember because law of primacy: things first learned are best remembered. Mm-hmm. They're going to. Remember when they were brand spanking new and shiny and eager to save lives and we're gonna change the world and make a difference? And <laughs> you sound like it's a bad thing. <laughs> and, 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 Tell start, me how you really the start, feel. Sarcasm just exuding from my pores, <laughs> but uh, but no, they're you know they're gonna remember that that hey you know what you know, this 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 cool cat Mike Turek took me under his wing and like really showed me all this cool stuff. So you know what, you're my new EMT. I'm you know I've been a paramedic now for a couple of years. I'm going to do the same thing for you. Yep. Yep. This is what I do with mine. I had my paramedic interns uh, this past, uh, my first batch of paramedic interns uh, that I rode with, and I did for them, you know, what it was done for me. Uh, We have, uh, you know, as our regular listeners will know, our Kelsey the intern. Kelsey the intern. She is an EMT intern. And I did for her the other day what a paramedic did for me as a brand new EMT. Said, hey, Have you ever been in the ALS bag? No. Well, let's look. Yep. And we went through the whole thing. Let's
0: learn. Yep. Yep. And it's never too late to start. You know, even if you have a provider that you think is slightly weak or could use some help, and they've been doing it for 15 years, be like, hey, let's... Let's do some stuff. Let's Give talk about stuff. Give them the opportunity yeah. because everybody wants. Nobody wants to suck. I mean, there are certain people out there, even though we all do, that they don't want really to. try to suck at this job, <laughs> and they and some of them have succeed. no problem
1: trying. They just do. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's it.
0: <laughs> and those are the people that I wish that you know you could approach and be like, hey, you know, yeah. let's. Let's work on some stuff. Not right. saying that I'm perfect, right? We've all established that we, all suck. we, you know, do things that sometimes bite us in the butt, right? But yeah. we learn from them and we grow from them. So, guys, thank you for joining me. Uh, everybody, stay safe
1: and we will see you next month. Donuts.
2: And Donuts. Time. you too.
1: <laughs> thank you for taking time to listen to the Medic Materials Podcast. If you got anything out of today's episode, be sure to follow the podcast. If you want to be a part of our daily EMS discussions, join the Medic Materials EMS Education Group on Facebook. And be sure to watch our weekly instructional videos on the Medic Materials YouTube channel.